This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Jesus, would you speak hope that only you can speak? Would you stir us? Would you move us? Would you open our ears, Lord, that we might hear exactly and only what you have for us today, please? Please. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. As we, uh, over the last weeks, have started to, to think about and, and remember and celebrate my mom's life, one of, the, one of the things that, the themes of her life that sort of continually uh, came to the surface was how creative she was. If you uh, were able to, and, and thank you for those of you who did, um, came to her memorial service, you saw a lot of things that she created. Um, I brought a few of them just to show you. Um, my mom, um, one, a few summers ago, um, spent a good portion of her summer looking for um, beer bottle caps. Um, she, she, the irony of this is the woman had one drink in her whole entire life, a champagne toast on her wedding day, that's it. And the whole summer she was looking for beer bottle caps because um, a beer bottle cap would make a great snowman pin, don't you think? She spent time at thrift stores digging through old sweaters, and she uh, felted them, and she made them into uh, mittens and pot holders and scarves. (laughs) She uh, went to thrift stores and found old Scrabble boards that were missing pieces that nobody else wanted, and she packaged the letters uh, to make words, and she put magnets on the back of them for people to put on their fridge. This one says, peace. But mom had this unique ability, many of you do too, to um, see what's present and what's there, but also to see what could be. To see what to see what could be. So my mom would like drive down the street and she would see a tree that was dying and she wouldn't just see dead branches. She would see arms of snowmen that she was gonna create and then she would go back by cover of night, I kid you not, (laughs) and go to town on that tree. A few times I was on those missions with her, very uncomfortable. Mom, are you serious? You want me to do that? Hurry, son, hurry. (laughs) Get after it. She had this ability to take um, old pieces and turn them into masterpieces. She had this unique way of seeing the world. I don't think my mom thought outside of the box. I'm not sure my mom was aware there was a box to think within. (laughs) And you know, that's one of the things that that I miss about her. One of the things I love about her is, is her creativity. But you know what? You know what? Our God does the exact same thing. Our God is a master, a master at seeing what is and not just leaving it as it is, but breathing life into it and making it new, making it different, making it whole. You know why I think that's such a beautiful thing? Is because isn't that the truth that we need to hear this morning. 
It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. In all the theology books that I've read, and I've read a number, one of the um, most um, neglected portions of God's attributes, his person, his character, is his creativity. You can read whole theology books, and it never will say God is a creative God. That's devastating. Because very few of us go, life is going great exactly how it is. See, I think one of the things that resonates with us about the person and work of Jesus is that he's creative. He's creative. He sees uh, blind people, but he also is creative enough to make them see. He sees the lame, but is creative enough to make them walk. It's one of the core attributes of who God is. Now, if you have a Bible and you want to just flip open to Genesis chapter 1, very first verse in your Bible reads like this. In the beginning, God what? Created. created. It's one of the first things that we learn about God. He's a creator. He's creative. Which is great news for you and I this morning. Because there's things in our life that we need Jesus to speak into. Yeah? There's, there's, there's areas of our life where we need Jesus to say, okay, um, I'm a creative God, so I can take what is rusty, beer bottle cap, whatever, and I can turn it into something new, something different. I can take that broken heart, and I can mend it. And not just mend it back to where it was, but take it and allow it to flourish even beyond where it was. He says, I can do that. The person who's, who's lost their job, he says, listen, I'm, I'm creative. Will you allow me to enter in the fractured relationships that many of us walk through life with? He says, I can work in that. I can move in that. That's not beyond what I can do. The finances that are out of control, he goes, oh, come on, come on. Speak light out of darkness. I think I can handle that. The question for us this morning is, will we allow this creative God to speak into our lives? Will we allow this creative God to speak into our lives? Because one of the things I'm convinced of is that he wants to this morning. Let me show you from uh, John chapter 1 what I think what Jesus wants to say to us this morning. John chapter 1. Starting in verse 1. In the beginning. Now, quick time out. Promise I won't do this after every few words. But in the be- so, so John is going to hope that you and I go, in the beginning. Hey, that sounds familiar. Right? In the beginning, it's going, all right, this is, this is hearkening back to Genesis chapter 1, that John is going to re-invite us into the creation narrative. In the beginning was the word, okay, now really, just a promise, won't do it every time, but <laughs> this word, word in the Greek is the word logos, and it is a word packed with meaning, packed with meaning. It literally means to speak or to make a statement. Um, to the Greek mind, it, it was the sort of unifying presence or power in the universe, sort of new agey, but it was, it was reason, it was wisdom. To the Hebrew mind, it was the action of God in the world. And John takes this Hebrew understanding and this Greek understanding, and he combines it into one. 
And he says, in the beginning was the word. And later on, he tells us about this word. He says in verse 14, just a few verses down, and the word became flesh. So this this breath of God, this, this reason, this wisdom is actually, he says, personal. It's Jesus in our midst. I was thinking this week when we use the uh, oftentimes trite phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season, I thought, well, yeah, that, that fits with the Greek understanding of this word, reason. He says it's personified. Well, well John continues. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. By that he means it's in, in, in perfect relational harmony, unity, with God, that he is the same as God. And in fact, he goes on in the climactic portion of this sentence in the Greek. It's the, it's the way that, that the words are written holds this sense of weightiness that sort of explodes onto the page for us. And John writes, and the word was God. And the word was God. This Jesus actually is God Incarnate, God in the flesh. As we said last week, dwelling among us. He's with God in the beginning, meaning that he is not created. Rather, he's the creator. He's with God, meaning he's, he's equal to God. And John says, and he is God. Well, the passage continues. Verse 3, and all things were made through him, through Logos, through Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, Now, here's what John is telling us. You've never seen something with your eyes that Jesus didn't create, that Jesus didn't touch, that he isn't behind. And you go, well, he didn't create the buildings. No, but he created the matter that the buildings are made out of. I think that's what John would say. Everything you see around you is created by Jesus. Now, that means that the person sitting next to you is created by Jesus. As C.S. Lewis writes, there's no such thing as a mere mortal. Every person we encounter has the fingerprints of God. And he goes, in him, John writes, in him was life. He uses this word life 36 times in his gospel, far more than any other book or any other gospel writer even ventures to to sort of dabble in what John says. It's a huge theme, and it's directly connected. It's not just existence, it's Life. You see, in him, in Jesus, was life. That means before there was matter, before there was anything physical, there was life. And oftentimes we reduce life just to simply being alive. But what John tells us about Jesus is no, 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 no. Life is found in him and in him alone. You ready for one of the more offensive verses of the Bible? Actually, I guess I'm not going there yet. I'll offend you later on, I promise. Offend you <laughs> later on. So here's what, G- here's what John tells us about Jesus. 
He was in the beginning. He is God. And he's a creator. Now, if you're looking at resumes, that's a fairly impressive resume, yeah? Okay, so, so John wants to lay a little bit of groundwork before he makes this, this really huge statement in verse 5, which we'll get to in a second. But, but we need to grasp and wrap our arms and our minds around this idea that Jesus is creator. He's creator. Look at the way that um, Paul writes it in the book of Colossians. He says, For by him, and the him here is Jesus, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. Out of nothing. Ex nihilo is the Latin phrase. Out of zero. Out of nothing. Now here, let me tell you why that's great news for you this morning. Is because often we approach God and we bring him what we have and hope that he'll take it and he'll make it something. And he goes, oh, that's really nice, but I don't need your anything. I'm a God who creates out of nothing. So, so regardless of how broken your life is, regardless of how hurting your life is this morning, what Jesus would say to you and to me is, I can work in that because I'm a God that with the very breath of my word creates out of nothing. Out of nothing. Look at the way that the psalmist writes it when he says this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the word of the Lord. By the breath of his mouth, all hosts. He says he created life, and that life was the life of men. So you can exist apart from Jesus, but you cannot live apart from Jesus. That's what John would say. Are you ready to be offended? Here's the offensive verse. Come. Don't want to leave you waiting on that. No, that's why he came this morning. First John chapter 5 11 through 12 reads like this. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life, this eternal life, both in its duration, but also in its quality, this eternal life is in his son, the Logos. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have And you and I, we see this play out all around us all the time. We see the lack of life in the way that somebody walks into high school with a gun. We see the lack of life in the way that relationships are fractured and broken and hurting. We see this lack of life everywhere around us. Every time we open up the newspaper or turn on the TV, we see this clawing quest of humanity to find real, true meaning in life. And Jesus says, it's only found in me. It's only found in me. He goes on. And this light shines. This light shines. Now, what John does is he intentionally changes the tense of his verbs when he gets to this word. You'll notice, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning, and he made made everything. And then in verse 5, he swings it to present tense, and he says, this light shines. 
Don't you love that he didn't say, and this light shined or shone, depending on how to conjugate that verb. (laughs) And this light shined, as in it did, and now that Jesus is gone, it doesn't anymore. See, John is writing after Jesus has already been crucified and ascended to heaven, and he says, on the day that he writes this, and the time that he writes this, the light shines, present tense, and what John would say to you and to I today is, it still shines. It still shines. His light, his life still shines. And I love what he goes on to say. It shines in the what? darkness. So here's a question. A lot of us go, hey, God, where were you when fill in the blank happened? Where were you? And he goes, hey, my light is shining. My light's shining. I'm there. I'm present. I'm in it. The darkness, John writes, has not, will not, cannot, does not overcome it. There will never be so much darkness that the light of the glory of the gospel, the life that flows from Jesus to you, to me, and out into the world around us, there will never be so much darkness that that light doesn't shine, he says. Well, well, so, all right, let's review for a second. Jesus is the creator. John chapter one, verse 14, Jesus makes his dwelling among us. So the creator God dwells with us, dwells among us, is present, is here. And he says, my light shines. It's not done shining. It shines today. So my question, church, is why don't we come not just to church, but to life more expectant? Why don't, we, why don't we trust that God may just want to take the broken pieces of our life, if he's the creator, and if he's present, if he's here, why don't we go to him more often to expect that he may just take the broken, fractured pieces of our life and turn it into a beautiful piece of art? Granted, a mosaic out of broken, fractured pieces, but a beautiful piece of his glory displayed for the world to see. I want to invite you this morning to maybe hope afresh for two reasons. God is here and he is still creative and still creating. And hey, if he speaks light out of darkness, what's too hard for him? And we start to play these games with God, God, well, you don't know what's going on in my life and God, uh, you wouldn't understand and God, this is too big for you to overcome. And he goes, really? Like, look at, look at the way that light shines. It's my resume, and it could shine in your life too if you would simply approach me by faith with expectation, knowing that I'm here. Knowing that I'm here. You see, Jesus, the creator, is still creating on the canvas of our lives today. As in right this moment, The Holy Spirit might be stirring in your heart that this creator God who, John says, created everything you see around you that maybe, just maybe, he's creating life out of death, hope out of desperation, light out of darkness in your life right now. See, the problem that we often have with this 
Um, the problem that I often have with this is that it appears that God's creation often happens out of darkness and out of hurt and out of sorrow and out of pain. And instead of running to him, my default is I'm going to try to find the lights myself, right? I'm going to try to repair this myself. I'm going to try to do this myself. And, and I think what John would say is that if light flows out of darkness, then maybe darkness is the crack in our lives by which the Holy Spirit comes into our life and starts to create and heal and move and bring the presence and work and glory of Jesus into hurt and sorrow and pain. The creator God is present and still creative today. Well, I have a hard question for you. I have a hard question for you. Do you want him to create? Do you want him to create? Because oftentimes we go, you know what? No, I, I, like the, I like the old sweater the way it is. And he goes, well, I, I could change. I could do something with that if you'll let me. And we are just tied to what we see and what we have. And he says, will you just, will you bring it to me and see what I might do with it? Light. Life. Over the next uh, few minutes that we have left together, I want to explore what does this really look like when the creator God creates on the canvas of our lives. Will you flip over to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah? It's in the middle of your Bible. Isaiah chapter 9, where a prophecy is given. It's actually a very real invitation to the nation of Israel at the time. Um, they were being sort of um, pressed on two sides. One, they had the Assyrians who were the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And then on the other side, they had a group of nations who had uh, made a pact together, a covenant, and they wanted Israel to join their covenant. So Ahaz, the king, goes to God and says, God, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to join the Assyrians or do you want us to join the other nations? And God says, no, no, not playing those games. You're my people. I will work in you and I will move. And he gives them this great invitation starting in verse two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. It's as though the creator God who says, I spoke light out of darkness and I created life out of nothing says, and I'm going to do that again for you, Israel. I am going to be the God who, even though you're walking in trouble, even though you're walking in desperation, even though you're small and you're weak, I am going to work in your life. They've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. He says, you have multiplied the nation. This little tiny nation of Israel pressed in on both sides. God says, if you'll trust me, if you'll run to me, I'll make you great. I will increase your prominence, your reach, your power. I will work in your midst. And see, this passage shows us when God paints on the canvas of our life, 
When he takes those broken pieces that hurt, that sorrow, the pain, the questions, and he turns them into his mosaic of what he wants to do in you and me, he would say, I think, the exact same thing. A light has shone, and I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to increase you if you'll allow me to do my creative work in, my, in your life. See, the Jesus, the creator, still creates today, possibly right now, growth out of stagnation. That's what he says to this nation. You're moving along, you're going along, just doing your thing, but if you will allow me to enter into your life, creative God creating in them, with them, right now, he says, I'll multiply you, I'll multiply you. The hard part about this is that God often uses difficult circumstances to catalyze your growth and my growth. He often uses difficult circumstances. So, so for those who um, were present um, at Arapahoe High School on Friday, for those parents that got that phone call, for the text messages that went out and said, nothing's going on at my school, but we're on lockdown. Every parent goes, they they freak out, right? I mean, all you hear is lockdown. God uses those things. He doesn't cause them. He uses them in order to stir us, to say, I want to wake you up to the reality and the truth that life is short. Come on, you guys. The life is short. The person that you're sitting next to right now, you will not be sitting next to forever. They, one of you is going to die first. You know that, right? That life is short, that it's frail, and he uses opportunities. He uses things like that to say to us, have you told the people around you that you love them? Have you acted like you love them? Are you really invested with them? things that matter more than the trivial things that we often give our life to, you guys. And it's times like these where God says, I want to wake you up and I want to multiply you. I want to expand your capabilities of love, of generosity, of goodness. Will you let me grow you through the hurt and the sorrow and the pain? It's people asking the question, have I really embraced the mission and message of the gospel or am I just coasting? See, I think God uses situations like this to say to the church, come on, church, wake up, be the church. You're the light, you are the city on the hill, not the silent spectator of a downward spiral. Be the light. Be the light. You, you, do you know there's people around you that need to know the hope of the gospel? It is the only hope. Not the best hope, the only hope. Only hope. I mean, can we start praying that God would bring about revival? That he would start to turn the tide of the way that things are going? Is this a legacy we want to leave? for our kids, for our grandkids. And God says, hey, when, when my light shines in you and I start to create, I take these broken pieces 
and I start to bring them together in a way that allows you to grow and allows you to flourish into the people that I always dreamed that you'd be. So here's what David writes in the Psalms, and I never really thought about this in this way until I started to study the the creative nature of God. See, David says to God, create in me a clean heart. Isn't that awesome? God, you can do this. You can work and renew a right spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. David goes to God going, God, I believe that you can create on the canvas of my life a clean heart, a new spirit, a devotion to you that flows out of your work and your spirit in my life. But God, you need to do it. You need to do it. He says, grow me, God, change me, God. And God says to him, love answering that prayer. Love answering that prayer. Because Jesus, the creator, is still present and he's still creating out of the broken, fractured pieces of our life. Well, the prophecy goes on. It reads like this. You've multiplied the nation. You have increased its, what's that word? Joy, as with the joy at the harvest. Like when people are bringing in a bounty of food. He goes, when I work in your life, when I move, when my light shines in the darkness you're walking in, that's what it's like. It's like the joy of harvest, and they're glad when they divide the spoil. So so here's what I think Jesus would say to us today is that he's still creating and he creates joy out of desperation. I hesitated talking about this word joy a little bit because I think there's so much misunderstanding around this word. Because here's what we usually say as followers of Jesus. Joy is not tied to our Circumstances, right, 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 right. Joy is not tied to our circumstances, which by that we mean joy isn't real. Joy is just something that we try to talk ourselves into as followers of Jesus. Joy is ethereal. It's a pie-in-the-sky idea that we often talk about, and most of the time what we say about joy is it's not tied to our circumstances. So uh, when life stinks... Try your best to have joy, right? That's our calling card as Christians. Try really hard to have joy. Try to talk yourself into it. It's not based on your circumstances. It has nothing to do with reality. It's completely ethereal and otherworldly. Praise be to God, right? Now, now here's the thing. There is a difference between happiness and joy. There is a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is directly tied to our immediate temporal circumstances. On the other hand, joy is also tied to our circumstances. It's simply tied to circumstances that will never change. So when we we do a disservice when we talk about joy as something that is completely uncircumstantial, as if to say that salvation is non-circumstantial, that it hasn't changed us at all, which is sometimes true. But you know, the way the scriptures talk about joy, I would say that the scriptures talk about joy in a way that is completely tied to our circumstances. Uh, Listen to the way that 
Listen to the way that the angels talk about joy in the Christmas story. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So if you think about it really hard and try yourself to convince yourself that things are good or you try really hard to be joyful, then you will. That's not what the angel says. For unto you is born this day. So joy is tied to what God is doing this day. In the city of David, a savior is born. He's Christ, the Lord, the Messiah. I think our lack of understanding and our lack of appreciation of just how real salvation is causes us to say things like, joy is completely uncircumstantial. No, a savior's been born. That's a circumstance. You were in desperate need and he saved you. That's the condition for joy. So the Bible talks about joy in a few different ways. It says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It says that that Paul commands us, rejoice in Philippians chapter three, verse one. Rejoice. And he goes, it's no trouble for me to say it again because it's a safeguard for you. Did you know that your conviction about what Jesus has done for you and your focus on that has the ability to turn desperate situations into joyful existence? It does. It does. Because it's a circumstance that your life is built on that cannot and will not change. So, So I don't know, maybe you're here this morning and you're going, yeah, my desperation, that's what describes me. And Jesus' invitation to you is, will you remember this morning a Savior has been born? And he changed everything. He changed everything. Well, Isaiah goes on to talk more about when God creates on the canvas of our lives. And he says this, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, You've broken. So, so all of these nations that are pressing in on Israel, he goes, God, you've, you've broken that. God, you're going to break that. God, you're going to move and you're going to work as in the day, as on the day of Midian. And this is a reference back to Judges chapter 7, where this man named Gideon with three, a ragtag army of 300 people defeats the entire Midianite army. And so God says, listen, I can still bring freedom I can bring hope, even when it seems like all the odds are stacked against you. He goes, I love that situation. I work in that situation. I take broken pieces, discarded, and I turn them into beautiful masterpieces. That's what I do, he says. And when God, the creator God, who's here right now today, creates on the canvas of our lives, here's what he does. One of the things is he brings freedom out of bondage. He brings freedom out of bondage, out of captivity. He says, right now, I'm present. And right now, I work. And some of you are trying really hard to break free on your own. And you'll be trying your whole life. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. You know, one of the main reasons that Jesus came is to bring you freedom. 
Galatians chapter five, verse one says, says it like this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. It's like the Bible goes, come on. He's purchased it. He's bought it. He's done it. Step into it. Step into it. So let me ask you, what are some of the things that maybe you're enslaved to today? Maybe it's a thought life that's just out of control. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's fear. I mean, you know, if something like this happens and our default is we're gonna live in fear. Maybe it's our past. I was sitting there worshiping um, this morning with you and, and I just sensed that God was saying some, that, that there's somebody here that's recently had an abortion that I wanna bring freedom to. And he's, he goes, hey, hey, I can take even those devastating broken pieces and I can turn it into something beautiful. But oftentimes our past, just we sink an anchor there and we just stay there. And what Jesus says is, no, 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 when I come and I create, I bring hope out of desperation. I bring joy and I bring freedom to the captives. See, here's the deal. If Jesus is present, then freedom is possible. If Jesus is present, then freedom is possible. Here's where the prophecy takes us before Handel takes over and sings, unto us a child is born. It says, for every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. He says, listen, you think you're getting ready for a battle. You think you're getting ready for a war. But he goes, you can take the uniform. You can take the garments. You can take uh, the weapons used for war and you can burn them because where there was chaos, where there was strife, where there was conflict, I'm gonna bring peace. He says, I'm a God that when I paint on the canvas of your life, I bring peace out of chaos. This Christmas, can I invite you to stop fighting? To surrender to the Jesus who says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. He goes, listen, the peace I give is not simply an absence of war. It's the shalom, the goodness, the favor of God resting on you. He says, not only do you have peace from God, which you do, but you also have peace with God. So he invites you, come to me. Cast your burdens, cast your cares, trust in me, and I will give you a peace that Philippians says surpasses all understanding. All understanding. The question is, how do we access that peace? Well, here's the way in closing that Romans chapter 15, verse 13 puts it. He says, may the God of hope fill you. Isn't that awesome? That God isn't into just sort of giving you a little drip of hope. 
He says, you open yourself up and I will fill you to the point of overflowing. I'll fill you with joy and with peace in believing. And so some of us here, we, we see something like oh, what happened at Arapaho on Friday, or we see um, just in our own family hurt, and we see sorrow, and we see pain, and we start to wonder, God, how do you work in the midst of this mess? And he says, persist in believing. And I'll fill you with joy and peace so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound. See, one of the beautiful things that Christmas says to us as we retell the story every year, one of the things we do is we remind ourselves that God is the creator. He's creative. But more than that, not just out there, creative somewhere, we also remind ourselves that he made and makes his dwelling among us that he lives in us, the same God that spoke all the stars into the sky, that called the light out of the darkness that created, as John says, everything you see around you lives in you. So why wouldn't we expect that he might just take the broken, fragmented pieces of our life Say, I can make a masterpiece out of that. I want to invite us today to, uh, I'm going to invite you to take a step of faith. Maybe it's the first step of faith in believing that this creative God is present and here. We're going to have um, our elders and, and some of our prayer team come up front, and they'll just be up here on the steps. But if you're here this morning and you're saying, God, I need you to create in my life. God, maybe it's God, I need you to enter my life. Oh, man, he, he, he'll, he will answer that prayer. But maybe it's just saying, God, all these broken pieces, these things that have gone on, these questions that I have, this pain that I carry, God, would you start to create something beautiful out of this mess? So we want to have a time during this last song of prayer, and we invite you to take the step of faith to come forward and to invite somebody to pray with you. And you're going to think of a thousand excuses why not to. And I want to give you one reason why to come. Because God is here. God is here. Would you take the step of faith to believe it and to ask him to create a masterpiece out of the broken pieces of our lives? Pray with me, please. And I'll invite our elders even now as I'm praying. Will you come forward? and our prayer team. Jesus, um, Holy Spirit, right now, would you stir in our hearts, Lord, in this place? Would you make this place holy? Would you allow us to see you? Creator God, one who speaks light into the darkness, we ask that you would speak 
light into the darkness right now. Lord, that you'd start bringing hope out of hurt, that you'd start bringing joy out of desperation, that you'd start bringing freedom out of captivity, that you would bring peace out of chaos. So Jesus, we come to you believing that you're here and believing that you're creative and offering you the pieces of our life, asking, would you make a masterpiece that only you can make out of it? We love you. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.